Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. We are recording. We have to stop using all our good material before we hit the record button. Notice how we do that all the time. <laughs> we hit record and then we're like, uh, we have nothing to say. <laughs> the green room recording before yeah. we actually start the podcast is more interesting. Pretty lively conversations. The one that can be used against you in a court of law. Or public opinion. We weren't recording. Maybe somebody else in the room was, but we'll be okay with that. Brendan was awfully Thanks. quiet. <laughs> Am I frozen? <laughs> No. no, you're here. You're, you're good. <laughs> it says I'm unstable, but we've all known that for a while. <laughs> what? Wow. Zoom can tell you that now? Yeah, we're not surprised. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's seen my bank account, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, everyone good, though? Yeah. Brendan's back. Brendan's back from paternity leave. Welcome back, Brendan. Welcome back. I'm back, but somehow I'm still in my house, so it doesn't feel any different. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to 2022. Yeah. 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 That's right. Last time we saw you, it was last year. So last year. So what did I miss? Um uh, not much uh, anything. I I can't recall. A lot of winter. <laughs> a whole lot and not much. Yeah, pretty much so. So with us today again is Bill Sutton. Hey Bill. How are you? Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. Brendan J. O'Reilly, back in the house. Hey, Brendan. Hi, I'm Brendan. I'm the features editor. And Joe Shaw's here with us again, too. Hey, Joe. Hey, Annette. It's Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. And I'm Annette Hinkle, and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And today we thought we would discuss um, an event that occurred on March 24th, right? Is that the date? Yes. Okay. Yes. Thursday, March 24th, we held our most, uh, one of our express sessions, and this was held um, in Southampton, correct? Yeah, it was at uh, Union Steak and Sushi in Southampton. And the topic happened to be the location of where this event took place, which is about Southampton Village itself, and sort of looking ahead to the summer that we will be having. And you um, you had a, a panel that included a lot of um, business owners of Southampton Village, is that, is that right? Yes, we and it's interesting because the topic was about the coming summer in Southampton Village, which I think we all agree is is potentially going to be the biggest summer we've seen. Uh, it feels like every summer, you know, even with the last couple of years thrown in to to sort of throw off the the cycle a little bit, uh, every summer seems to get a little bit bigger. But I think this year we're we're all expecting a very big summer indeed, as far as the number of people and stuff that's going on and. Our panelists included um, Mayor Jesse Warren, who was there. Uh, we also had um, Keith Davis, who is the owner of the Golden Pear. Uh, we had Doug Julia, who is the uh, owner and chef at Plaza Cafe. We had mm-hmm. Aaron Meany, who owns Topier. And we had uh, Tom Dunn, who is the director of the Southampton Arts Center, because we wanted uh, sort of a cultural a view from the cultural community as well. And it's interesting, and I think Bill and Brendan will back me up on this, uh, that we had a conversation about the fact that, so we go into these express sessions with a topic 
uh, stated and in mind. And in this case, it was the coming summer and, and looking ahead. But these sessions are really very organic and they, they turn into, uh, when you have other topics that are of importance in the areas we're talking about, they tend to bubble up. And I think that happened here that we had uh, a conversation that ranged into other areas, which included uh, the village's uh, continued search for a new police chief and uh, the general sort of overall uh, tension in the village uh, politically and whether that's having an impact on things. It was, a, I thought it was a very interesting conversation. You guys were in the audience. How did it, uh, how did it read? It, it really was. It did go off on a couple of tangents, like you said, but I, I think <clears throat> those are tangents that people are, are talking about in the village. So it was, it was um, interesting to, you know, to hear about what, what, what's on people's minds as, as they're going into the summer. So I wondered, why did we think that this will be the busiest summer ever? I mean, I wondered what your, what your thought process was and even posing that question as the, at the start of the session. Hmm. I, I mean, I would guess that, that, that I guess in my head, it's that, as I said, I feel like almost every summer lately builds on the previous summer um, and the pandemic obviously threw a monkey wrench into that. But I think last summer, even coming out of where we had that sort of break uh, during the summer, uh, things got a little bit better. And I think it was, it was a very big summer in a lot of ways. But I just feel like now with the possibility that we may be through the worst of the pandemic, and that's of course a knock on wood statement, um, anything could still happen. But if the pandemic is truly in our rearview mirror, uh, I think you may see some people who are still wary about traveling much mm -hmm. for vacation. And so that tends to mean a lot more people coming here. And uh, I don't know, I just, do, do you think, it, I, I'm, I'm just curious, do you think that's? Uh... Well, one of the things that I saw that, that I, I, one of the reasons I think you could be correct is that, you know, with the whole um, gas prices going through the roof, a lot of people are probably not going to take vacations very far away. I mean, not that the people out who have houses out here can't afford to fly off to Monaco whenever they want, but it's going to be, you know, airfare is probably likely to be more expensive. Europe may be unstable um, still in the summer where people don't necessarily want a vacation there. And the price of gas may encourage people instead of renting an RV and driving to California, let's just go to our place in the Hamptons. And so I'm thinking that, that there might, you might be getting more of that people just wanting to stick close to home because of the uncertainty of the war and the prices of fuel and air travel. But that's just my harebrained theory. I don't really know much about the economics of going places. So last year there was a thought that the rental market was going to take a dive because the analysts were expecting Europe to reopen. And the thought is the pandemic's going to subside. Europe's going to reopen. Other destinations are going to reopen. So instead of everybody clamoring for a full season rental in the Hamptons, they're going to be renting elsewhere. And the other effect of that is you had a lot of people who had just bought homes in 2020 and they could be going into 2021 and saying, well, let me put this house to work and I'll rent it out in August of 2021. But then when the world didn't reopen the way that we were anticipating it would, everybody stayed in Southampton and, and the other villages out here. So now going into 2022 summer, I'm seeing that a lot of the businesses that moved out here 
are still in that test the water phase of like, can we really make this work when it's not a pandemic? Mm-hmm. You know, five years from now, um, a lot of those big galleries and big stores that came out here to follow their clientele, you know, they'll still be here in five years if they do great business. If they don't do great business some, this summer, they're not going to stick around. They're not going to extend their leases. They're going to say, okay, well, that was the flash in the pan due to the pandemic, but now we're going to go back to normal where we do all of our business out of Manhattan and we don't need to worry about having a Southampton outpost. So it was kind of an interesting time to open a new business because it really was sort of a, a, a strange market summer last last summer. So that's an interesting dynamic. A lot of those places came out here because they couldn't open in this Exactly. And so this was the only place that they could be open. And now I think Brendan's right. Does that change or not? Yeah. So what was the perspective of some of the panelists? Did they did they agree that they think it's going to be in a very busy summer or were they did were they not so sure? I think everybody agreed it was going to be a busy summer and everybody was sort of bracing for that. I was sort of intrigued. One of the things that caught me a little bit off guard was um, Aaron Meany and Doug Julia are both very longtime members of the community, the business community in the village. And they both um, made comments about the end being near and that they were, they were ready to, to, to at least start thinking about uh, not only, you know, an end game, but, but leaving the area in some cases, I think uh, Aaron Meany talked about, you know, the, the idea of just getting out at, at this point, which is, is pretty shocking because I mean, Aaron is a hat trick. Um, you know, that's, you know, one of the families in Southampton for generations. And uh, Doug has been just a part of the community, grew up here and, and has had Plaza Cafe for, I don't know, what was it, 30, 35 years, something like that. Uh, or he's been in business at least that long. Um, so I, I think there is, it's an interesting thing that there's a little bit of a, of a, I don't know what the word would be. I think people are starting to get fatigued. Yeah. Are they, are they also feeling maybe just like, I mean, I've been hearing a lot of this out of Sac Harbor, just the changing nature of the clientele. And like, we always had big money in Sac Harbor, but now it's super huge money. And, you know, I mean, I know we have this conversation all the time. It's like, oh, it's changing. I'm getting out of here. But it feels like the exodus is maybe of, you know, people who are just kind of at their wits end or just getting really priced out is, is kind of raising. And I don't know if that's accurate. That's just what you see, you know, on social media and you hear on the street. Um, do you think there's any validity to that? Well, I, let me ask these guys, because they were, again, they were in the audience uh, for this event. And, I, you know, one theme that I, that I heard was um, that the whole nature of Southampton Village in particular, but they made the point that this is not just true of Southampton Village, it's true of a lot of communities they're just not what they used to be in the sense of, you know, Southampton Village used to be a small town. It used to be about, you know, a a cluster of families who, uh, it was your classic small town. And it's something different now. It's it's much more of an international resort destination and with all the trappings that come with that. And I, I think, you know, I don't know if you guys, that seemed to be a theme that with, with uh, especially the, the long-time merchants here. Very, very much so. And, and I, I think they, they talked a lot about that. And 
um, and they they both grew up together. We're in the same class in school and shared some anecdotes about growing up in um, That's you know, and, Doug, and, Doug Julian Aramini, just to be clear. Right, right. And 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 small town, you know, in quotes, small town Southampton and um, you know, anecdotes about not 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 sitting on on the wall on you know on Hampton Road and um, you know and that type of thing. I I wonder how much of that has changed due to um, you know the longer season where you know where where years ago the season was very much Memorial Day to Labor Day. You had Tumbleweed Tuesday, everybody disappeared, and it was back to back to normal, back to Mayberry. Um, you know, just being a, a, a small little village. And, and I think as, as the seasons have extended further into the fall and earlier in the spring, um, then you don't get that, that change um, as, as starkly on, on, on those dates. Um, and, and it becomes more of a, you know, a full-time, like you said, destination place. Brendan, here, here's a thought that the seasonal nature is sort of gone in the last couple of years. And a lot of the people who are here now are here year round, either because they relocated here or they bought and they're coming out here at all times of the year instead of, it used to be much more seasonal. I know that when we first came out here in the late nineties, uh, you know, the difference, the you know, tumbleweed Tuesday was really tumbleweed Tuesday. Um, it, it doesn't, change all that much anymore and i'm not sure everybody gets a break anymore brendan it feels like uh it's in season in i think if you're a merchant you're probably dealing with a lot of those stresses year round now well if you remember doug said at the event that he's possibly the oldest line cook in the hamptons right now and what he meant mm -hmm. is he doesn't have employees so he was running himself ragged and he was actually not answering the phone and took themselves off the open table website because they didn't want to have the restaurant full to the brim every night. They wanted it to be a manageable size where they could do their job well, uh, instead of taking every reservation that came in and doing a poor job. And that had to do with the staffing. So if he had the ability to have, if Doug had the ability to have a staff available to him, may through september and beyond i think he'd be much happier and he wouldn't be talking about leaving he sounded to me like a guy who had run himself ragged and he wasn't looking forward to doing that every summer for the next five or ten years at some point you have to say well i can't keep the restaurant staffed because we've priced out all of the employees and I could go live somewhere else a lot more comfortably and still have a restaurant, but have a restaurant where I don't have to be the owner, head chef, and the line cook. And I mean, Keith Davis, who is the owner of Golden Pear, um, I thought said something interesting too, that they've had to adapt in filling staff positions at the Golden Pear. And what they've had to start doing is be strategic with their scheduling because some of their um, assistant managers, the folks who are gonna come in and open the story, and a lot of them are sitting in traffic. Uh, and so it makes no sense to schedule a bunch of people to come in early who are all gonna have to sit in an hour long traffic jam to do that. So he's been more strategic about the people who work further to the West uh, 
having them come in a little later in the morning and things like that, which, you know, quite frankly, is something that I think a lot of businesses are doing. We're, I'm doing that. Right. Um, I, you know, the, the pandemic made it possible for me now that when I do go in the office, I, I delay my, my drive in until after nine o'clock because uh, it, it cuts the time in half. I mean, a half hour makes a, a huge difference as far as how long it takes to get from Hampton Bays. My goodness. It's like 12 miles and, and it can take. You're not taking the subway? Wait. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it's amazing to me that it can take 45 minutes to over an hour at the worst case scenario um, to, to go 12 miles. But if you wait until nine and leave around nine o'clock or a little bit after, it's, it's you know, 20 minutes is what it should be. So I think all those stresses are, are taking their toll. And that was part of what I wanted to talk about at this session was just how the village can sort of brace for it. But there were a couple of things that, that came up that were also of interest. And one of them was Aaron Meany in particular raised some issues about, uh, you know, the overall, um, how did she describe it? I, I forget the word that she used, um, but it was just the, the tenor of, of village hall and how it deals with people in the community and how it's dealing with village employees. And she, she talked sort of around it a little bit because I think she was being diplomatic. Um, but the, the idea was that the, that village halls, uh, been a little more difficult to deal with. And I think that pointed directly at, at mayor Warren, who was on the panel. I thought his answer to that was, was very interesting that you're seeing a divisiveness not just locally, but regionally and nationally. And, mm -hmm. and we've commented on that a bunch over the last few years. And I think some of that trickles down into, into social media and conversations, um, you know, among people and, and that divisiveness is, is just um, maybe just part of our, our culture now. Certainly, I, I think that there's some some issues um, you know, going on in the village, but I thought it was interesting for the mayor to say that. And that's kind of his stance that, that when there is that divisiveness, and we've seen that in um, local elections in Southampton Village over the last, you know, the last couple of terms, um, you know, that, that that is a bleeding in of, um, you know, just our national, um, national tenor, for, to repeat your word. That's interesting. Is it like newcomers versus old timers, or is it left versus right? Or no, it's it's more complicated. I think Brendan, you you've been covering the village uh, last year for a while, and I mean, I think it's more complicated. There are factions, but they're not so easily um, staked out. The way that it was framed uh, by Aaron and Doug was that the village was this place for the year-round residents and the part-time homeowners. And the point was raised that uh, the people that own the houses are the ones that pay the taxes. So if they pay the village taxes, they should be the beneficiaries of the village. Um, and the complaint seemed to be that too much emphasis was being put on the summer visitors. And what constitutes a summer visitor? Is it somebody that's a day tripper, a weekend? Is it somebody that rents a house for the summer but doesn't own the house? And th there are a lot of dynamics at play. Like, what if you own a house in the village? Are you part-time because you spend winter in the village and you spend summer in Florida? Or the people 
but somebody who rents a house in the village for the summer, but doesn't own the house in the winter, those are the wrong kind of people. Like, I, I think there's so many different groups and you have to wonder like, who are the ones that are really annoying you? And, and what's the problem with the people having too much influence? Do you feel like that seemed to be the case that the wrong kind of people were having too much influence at Village Hall? Or was it a complaint that people weren't spending enough money on Main Street? Because you also have the merchant consideration. Yeah. The merchants seem to be happy. Were they happy? Because there was also always this, this ferry boat that would bring people over from Connecticut and the big complaint in Sac Harbor. This is a day trip boat. And everybody would complain because the only thing that they would buy was ice cream cones, you know? Yeah. And um, that was great for the ice cream shop, but not anybody else. But see, that's I'm fascinated by the way the entire community has evolved. But I think Southampton Village is sort of emblematic of it. So when I got here in 98, there were very clear divides. There was, there were the people who were wealthy who lived here part-time and they owned properties and used them part-time. There was that group of people. There were the year-round residents. And in Southampton Village, that included people who were not wealthy. That included a fairly sizable number of people who had apartments and houses that they'd had for years and years in their families. And there, there, were, there were a lot more year-round residents who were sort of blue-collar uh, folks. So you had that group. Then you had the renters who would come out and rent a house for the summer. And they were considered sort of on par, just slightly below the, the, the part-time residents who, were, who owned houses. And then you had the day trippers, which were actually a fairly... I think a fairly small number. Now, those those categories just don't work anymore, do they? I mean, you've got you've got year-round residents, but almost every year-round resident in Southampton Village, but it's becoming more and more true of the community on the South Fork in general, are are wealthy people, not necessarily workers. The the community of year-round working community is is getting smaller and smaller now you have short-term renters in addition to long-term renters those are two very different types of people who are coming into the community you now have people who bought houses because they fled the city in the the pandemic and that's a different group of I, you just i i think the old the old lines don't apply anymore <laughs> Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Cordoraro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books. Independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sac Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. Carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. I would be curious to know, I don't know how, if there's a way to count it, but just how much of the foot traffic in the, in the business district during the summer, how much of that is day trippers? I, I think it's not a lot, like you said, I, I think it's, um, you know, these are, are mostly, 
I, I would imagine, and I have nothing to base this on other than, than, than my opinion, that it's mostly those people that are out here for, for the summer. Yeah, I think it, it might just be getting also more complex because you do have people who might be out here on a year-round basis since the pandemic, right. but they may not be that invested in the community. Like they may not be sending their kids to the school here. They may not really be paying attention to what's happening in village hall or school boards. So they're here, but emotionally or mentally, they may be really more invested in another area because everybody's living online and remotely right now. People can be here, but not be here, if that makes sense. I, I think that's interesting. I also, um, so I, one interesting thing that I heard too <clears throat> was um, Golden Pear um, off season is um, is filled very early in the morning with um, Latino business owners and, and workers and that that is, is seen as a real growing community. I don't know where they live, if, if they live, you know, locally or they're, they're coming in um, you know, from, from other areas. Um, but it's not, it's not just a matter of workers anymore that they have, that they have taken that next step. They've started their own businesses. They're running businesses. I don't mean to be they, you know, you know, but, but, but those members of that community have, have, um, have, have really grown. And established themselves. Mm -hmm. I think what Keith Davis, you know, he basically was saying that the workers have become management and right. uh, they own companies now. And I think they can afford to live here in some cases. It's, it's an interesting upward mobility kind of a trend. Um, Which is typical for, for America, right? Sure. Of, of any, of any immigrant community. Yeah. That's what happens. Um, but, you know, as we always say, every express session event is about affordable housing and mm -hmm. this one, also was about affordable housing to some degree as well, because that's certainly the nature of why things are changing. And, and the village is a very different place over 25 years because there just isn't, you don't have uh, the diversity within the village limits that you used to have. I mean, it's, it's disappearing very quickly. And I mean, I mean, economic diversity yeah. uh, as much as, as I mean, uh, racial diversity. I think it's, you just don't have that many working families left. Most of them, I, I don't want to say that. There's a lot of working families left. Yeah. There are a lot fewer than there used to be because so many have, have cashed out if they own property. And the others who didn't own property have been priced out. And it's just not worth it anymore. Well, and, and an interesting thing brought up by the mayor, and I think he would like to address that, Mayor Jesse Warren. I, I think that you know he was talking about... Um, the the uh, village working on a comp plan update and and addressing zoning and and he 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 hearkened back to the previous <clears throat> excuse me comp plan which was you know formulated in 1999 that called for um, certain properties to be multifamily and remain multifamily um, but those suggestions weren't taken and a lot of property that was at one time zoned multifamily became zoned single family and you saw a lot of high-end houses built on those properties that could have been um, saved as multifamily and used maybe not as um, you know workforce housing but more affordable housing for you know for village residents and I think he, I think he'd like to he'd like to address that somehow I know the point was made to me later that uh, the village did allow more condos, for seniors, which was also something 
that was a demand. And that I think that that ended up being uh, where the focus was instead of on multifamily housing that would have been more like workforce housing. But there's no question that there really there's very little workforce housing if there's any left in the yeah. village at this point. That's a, a Long Island wide problem that developers show up and they say, hey, you're zoned single family here, or you used to be industrial. And, and I know you want single family zoning, but what if we came in and we built high density, 55 and over condominium living communities, we're not going to add to the, to the school district's burden of students. However, we're going to give a lot of tax money to the school districts, and we're going to give a lot of tax money to the town highway. And then the towns say, well, yeah, we'll take it. You mean free money and we don't have to like educate any kids? Let's do it. Uh, what they stopped doing, though, was building houses for people who are graduating college and they don't want to live with their parents anymore. They want to get their own place. Uh, they couldn't do it on Long Island, so they moved away. So we had a brain drain. And we knew it was happening. And the houses that they were in before they moved into these senior housing complexes then are sold um, high end because they're cashing out and it's, they're not being sold to, right. to the younger generation. Um, so it just perpetuates that problem. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Brian. Um, well, the point I wanted to make was that we've seen this for years and we knew it was happening, but it was that analogy that Al Gore likes to use about if you put a frog in a pot of water and you slowly turn it up to boil, the frog doesn't jump out until, until it's too late. Uh, but if you put a frog in boiling water, he'll jump out immediately, right? We, we were the frog not realizing that the heat was getting turned up slowly on us. And then the pandemic happened. Everybody wanted to, you know, buy a house at the same time and raise the prices even higher and caused a lot of people to leave the state all at once. Um, at the same time, as was mentioned at the Express Sessions event, that the worker visas for temporary workers were not available. J1 and J5 visas, I think, were the numbers that were cited at the event. There's also the H2B visas that I know have been very popular out here that we didn't have our hands on. So the pandemic exacerbated this issue, and now we're all forced to confront it. Um, even though we thought we knew how bad it was, now we're now we're really getting to see how bad it is. Yeah, and, and I was sort of intrigued that uh, Mayor Jesse Warren spent a lot of time, and I, I think some of it was just proximity. It, it, this event was uh, coming up uh, just two days later. Uh, it was the last chance for the public to comment about the village's master plan, its comprehensive plan that's being put together. Um, and I, you know, it leads to an interesting conversation, which is, you know, the village is undergoing this new comprehensive plan, which uh, the last one was in '99 and 2000, I think it was finally adopted. And it was supposed to be, as the mayor pointed out, it was supposed to be updated every five years. Uh, it has not been updated since 2000. And it's now they're going to do an entirely new comprehensive plan. But it's worth asking. So I, I feel like comprehensive plans are at the same time, really important documents, and not all that important, because they do set a blueprint for how you want your, your municipality to develop, but it's all about how you enforce that. And, and I think Southampton Village, its comprehensive plan in 99 and 2000, there were, there were a couple of major recommendations 
that simply weren't followed. And and if that's the case, like the multifamily housing, like the multifamily housing, and 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 also one of the big recommendations. And I, I watched this. You know, I was here for the the comprehensive plans, uh, the the twenty years since, and it never really came to pass that one of the big things it talked about and was really promoted at the time by village officials was the idea of making the village more walkable and making it more bike friendly and and you know linking the cultural uh, assets that the village has uh, by foot so that you could go from one place to the other and maybe creating that central parking lot making it paid parking uh, to help support and it, you know there were, there were a lot of big sweeping ideas that just died on the vine, they just never, you know, the village added some bike lanes, there's no question. And I'm not sure it really did much as far as there were pedestrian crosswalks added, no question, but the, the overall vision was never attained. And, and I think that's why you can spend a lot of time on a comprehensive plan, but if you're not gonna make it happen. But I, I think that's typical. And, and look, I've, I've covered a lot of different communities and, and boards that have comp plans. They're, they're not often updated. Then when they are updated, it's very exciting and they go through this whole process and then they sit dusty on a shelf, um, which somebody had said yesterday, and I think that's true. And, you know, <clears throat> you, you may hear in a public hearing, well, the comp plan says this or the comp plan says that, but but the the municipal board looking at a project is, is not, the, it, there, there's nothing that forces them to stick to that comp plan. They can pretty much do what they want after that. Like you said, there's that, there's no enforcement of it. I think it's a very typical thing. I wish Southampton Village luck with their comp plan. And I hope that, you know, that they can come up with a, with a, a you know, a good roadmap, as you said, and, and can stick to it. But um, I'm a little skeptical because I've just seen so many communities adopt these plans and do nothing with them. I think we need to pull out all those plans and then do like an overarching and dive and just like sort of run down what they were going to do and whether you yeah. have a check mark or an X. And that would just be kind of an interesting graphic to see what's. But I, th I wonder if part of the problem is just the the nature of of local governments. I mean, a lot of you know the people who are leading them aren't there all that long. You know, I mean, when right. I moved to Southampton, Fred Thiel was the supervisor of Southampton Town. You know, that was. Um, it, he's he's gone on and everybody's gone on you know it's just sort of like you know every every few years if you have like a whole changeover in government i think it's really hard to um you know it's almost like you need a a, a business a village um manager or somebody to really be on top of that sort of thing well and you know another thing is that a comprehensive plan is by its nature pretty vague yeah. and it's meant to sort of set a direction but to leave the details up to uh, you know, the folks as, as you implement this plan over time. But you know, I have four members of our editorial board sitting here, so it's worth having a conversation. And I sort of raised this question at the Express Sessions event too, and maybe we'll explore it in an editorial. Um, I, I wonder that the, the Southampton Village plan in 99, 2000 was very explicit that said, the focus should be on the year-round community. That's who the, the primary focus should be. Anything that happens in the village should be to the benefit of the year-round community first and foremost, and not the tourist community, not the resort community. I just wonder if in 2022, 
if you set something similar and the mayor's made it sound like that would still be the case in the new comprehensive plan. And I understand that, but are you ignoring reality? This is a different, this is a different community than it was in 2000. And, and the fact is that the year round community quote unquote is a very different animal now than it mm -hmm. was then. You got to define year round community because I think as, as we said earlier, it's just so much different now as if somebody owns a home here, but only comes out in the summer and, you know, and, and spends their winter somewhere else. Are they part of that year round community? Or are you talking about, you know, blue collar workers, um, you know, and business owners? Um, is that the year round community? Um, you know, people who own homes and, and do B&B, uh, &B, I mean, they're year round community, but but they're adding to, to that resort quote unquote resort community. I'm not sure what the resort community is. That's my point too, Brendan. I, I, I think the two communities are basically the same. I mean, you know, the, the people who own property in Southampton Village now are the summer community to a large degree. And, and I'm not sure you, there's a divide there like there was 20 years ago. And, and when you talk about the needs of different groups, I, I'm not sure they're different groups. It's, it's, I think we need a we need a realignment of how we're even looking at this question. I feel like in the old days they used to fall into the you know basically this home homeowners or even second homeowners versus the day tripper. Yeah, like the you know that was always the big thing. You know we don't want you know the day tripper we're not as interested in versus or the or the renter. It's the second homeowner economy, but I don't even know like you said if that even holds water anymore. There was homeowners and renters, but that's not really the. Well, that was always that was always Southampton Town wanted that too. That's why they didn't promote motels or or transient, um, you know, hotels, motels, that type of thing. It seems that they're switching that around a little bit. And you mentioned it, Joe, the the Canoe Place Inn, um, you know, property in, in Hampton Bays, and we wrote an editorial um, this a uh, couple weeks ago that that talked about you know maybe a renaissance in um, you, you know in, in hospitality. Um, and hospitality, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. thanks for the word there, and the hospitality industry in, in Hampton Bays and encouraging, you know, large groups to come out for, for weddings and to stay for a weekend and have their event, whether it's a wedding or, or some other event, um, you know, and stay for, stay for a few days, spend some money, um, you know, and, and, and they become then part of the community, right? Although that's not limited to the summer. I mean, you could, that, that could be, that could be a, you know, uh, a, a winter wedding, I guess, too, that's year round. One thing to think about is that the housing stock has changed dramatically from what it was 22 years ago when they were finalizing that plan. You have houses in Southampton Village that used to be shoeboxes that have now been redeveloped into two or $3 million homes that are much larger. Um, and new development on pristine land, which did not go to be uh, worker housing or middle-class housing, it went to be luxury housing. So the makeup of the village is physically different and you're not going to take these houses that cost millions of dollars and somehow revert them into being local housing stock again. Every time a, a house gets torn down and redeveloped, it it's a one-way street. You don't turn around and turn that back into a year-round village hall employee. You don't turn that around and it becomes a, a nurse's house at Southampton Hospital. It is now an unattainable mm. house to a normal person. And the pristine land 
uh, the old farms, they were not built for the nurses and the teachers and the cops. They were built to be unattainable to the normal person. There's a statistic I want to uh, throw at you from 2013. And this is when Southampton Village was redoing its business district master plan. So it didn't cover the whole village, but I was at all these meetings for a very long time about how the business district would look. Um, a lot of these things did not come to fruition either. Uh, there was ideas like where that bank is on Windmill Lane and that park is actually having storefronts in place of that park all sidewalk sidewalk adjacent to make that a better walking area than it is right now. Like none of that happened. None of that's going to happen. Which by the way, Brendan, I have to point out in the original comprehensive plan in 99, 2000, that parcel was specifically to be set aside as a park. So right there, 13 minutes, 13 years later, they're looking at, at it in a different context and proposing exactly the opposite of what was in the comp plan earlier. Well, the idea was, well, where are we going to put new retail? How are we going to grow our business district? And a lot of a funny thing, as an aside, a lot of people came out and said, we don't want any more real estate offices, no more real estate offices. Uh, and the planner said, well, look at your village right now. You have vacancies in the village business district. Guess what happens when you can't fill a business district and then you kick out all of the real estate offices from first floor places in the business district? Now you have a business district that went from 25% vacant to 50% vacant. That's not really the goal here. You need to have mixed use if you want to keep yeah. it full. So the original statistic that I want to raise with you, this is a quote from CMAX Sammy, who had led the South Ham Village Planning Commission. In 2013, he said, two decades ago, there were about 120 to 130 apartments in the village. Now there are about 22. Wow. Wow. Mm. And do you think those 22 even exist? Yeah, I bet not. It would be a stretch, probably. probably. I, I bet it's... If they do, they're pretty pricey. Mm -hmm. So is that something that came up? I mean, did Jesse Warren talk about the idea of getting more apartments? And, and I guess that involves bringing on the sewage system online. You need the sewage system online first. And he mentioned having apartments above stores. Uh, there are forces in the village that do not want the village to look anything like Patchog. If a business is currently one floor, they want it to stay one floor. If a building is two floors, they want it to stay two floors. They don't want a developer to come in and either tear down and redevelop a building or add a story to a building just so we could have second and third floor and fourth floor apartments. They want the building short. They want to be able to see a blue sky above the flower shop. They don't want there to be uh, working class people there. You know, I'll say this. I think I think Jesse Warren has always been very pro affordable housing, and it was an issue no. that he ran on uh, when he was victorious to, in his first run for mayor. It's been a focal point of his. And and you know what? Let me just talk about the elephant in the room that people don't mention very very often, and that is the hospital building in the village. Which, when the hospital in within five to ten years, whenever the time frame is. The hospital is going to be making a move to the college campus in Shinnecock Hills. Uh, that's that's uh, absolutely on the table, and it's going to have that property in the center of Southampton Village that's going to need to be repurposed for some purpose. Now, it's interesting to me that one of the conversations that's happening there is, well, it should be senior housing. And this goes back to the earlier conversation we had. It's not the same thing. Imagine 
though if that piece of property in the center of the village were redeveloped as affordable workforce housing in the middle of Southampton Village. Now, the problem with that is it's a valuable piece of property and, and um, it's going to be a tough sell, I think. But I, but I would think that the argument to be made is we are talking about existential threats to communities now. I don't know that these communities out here are going to be able to survive you know, in, in a realistic way for 20 and 30 years unless there's some affordable housing created because the, all of the problems that we talk about that, that come from a lack of affordable housing are swallowing up these villages. And I, I think it, it would be very short-sighted of the village not to, to take a big swing at the issue and the hospital property may provide an opportunity to at least have that conversation. So no matter what, what our express session is technically about, there's only really one issue, as we know. Always. Always. And that's Always. the next one we're having, right? That's the next session. It is. It is. Uh, the one on uh, April 7th, and Bill Sutton will be hosting his first express session event. And although that's going to be that's going to be a great conversation. I'm really bummed. It really is. That I'll be out of town. All right. Although, interestingly enough, I don't think this podcast is dropping until after, um, after well, that. You date, missed a good so. one. <laughs> well hopefully you were there i don't worry it all comes back to affordable housing we'll have plenty of opportunities. absolutely there'll be more and more conversations about, about that no question 27 speaks is sponsored by the law firm of toomey latham shea kelly dubin and corderaro strong advocacy and attentive counsel be well advised sufficlaw.com Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and SagHarborExpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.